Morning, Christ Church. And happy Mother's Day. I hope you got all, all the women as you came in. I hope you got uh, one of the flowers as you arrived. It's just a kind of a token of recognition and gratitude for you. There are all kinds of moms, expecting moms, mothers of one, mothers of many, grandmothers, godmothers, stepmothers, mothers to be, spiritual mothers, those who pour out and nurture and mentor uh, in the lives of other young women with a loving care that's tender and that's strong. And um, I was thinking about this phrase, you know, you sometimes hear working mothers, and it's kind of a strange phrase, isn't it? Because is there such a thing as a mother that's not a working mother? There are those that work in the home and those that work outside the home or both, but it's just kind of redundant to say working mother. You know, I, there's this interesting little statistic that I found. According to salary.com, you know what they did? They took everything a mom does throughout the week, and they said, all right, let's apply the going rate for each of these tasks and all the things that a mom does for uh, the average stay-at-home mom. She works 94 hours a week, and if she could collect a salary doing a range of 6.2 hours of laundry and 14 hours of cooking and the like, you know, they added all this up, she would earn around $162,000 per year. And that was a few years ago and doesn't account for inflation. It takes skill and knowledge. And uh, one mom was walking with her four-year-old daughter when this little girl picked up something from the ground. And she started to put it in her mouth. And the mom said, you know, don't do that. And, and it stopped her from doing it. And, and the mother tells this in her own words, her, this story. She says, I took the item away from her, and I asked her not to do that. My daughter quickly asked, why? Because it's been lying outside. You don't know where it's been. It's dirty, and it probably has germs, I replied. At this point, my daughter looked at me with total admiration and asked, wow, how do you know all this stuff? I thought quickly, and I said, all moms know this stuff. It's on the mommy test. You have to know it, or they don't let you be a mommy. So we walked along in silence for two or three minutes as she pondered this new information, and she said, oh, I get it. She beamed. So if you don't pass the test, you have to be the daddy. <laughs> I smiled and replied, exactly. <laughs> So, mothers, we salute you. Happy Mother's Day to all mothers in the room. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of motherhood and um, all of the cost and the sacrifice, uh, the most thankless vocation in the world. And from carrying us in the womb to every unseen uh, act of service and sacrifice. Um, Lord, we thank you for the gift of mothers. And um, Jesus, we know that you know what it means to have a mother who loved you, who bore you, and uh, you identify with her and with all the mothers in this room. And uh, So Lord, we thank you for that gift. And Lord, would you open our hearts now to the text uh, that you have us that we've read today and that you're leading us into, that we would reflect on this as we think about what it means to offer ourselves, our lives, our finances, all of who we are, our hearts to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, next week, we're going to make our annual pledges. 
I'll say more about that in a little bit later in the sermon, but today our scriptures, our, our readings help us to start thinking about this arena of our discipleship. This is an arena of discipleship, part of what it means to be formed in Christ. Our gospel reading today is often referred to as the story of the widow's might. Nobody knows what a might is anymore. Um, think of it as a story of the widow's pennies, because that's the equivalent. Jesus was sitting um, in a part of the temple where people make their offerings, and it tells us he just happened to be sitting right there across from where they were making offerings, and he noticed something, and he saw all the wealthy people putting large amounts of money into the offering. And then he saw this poor widow come and drop a few pennies in. And he took this moment and turned to his disciples who were sitting with him, and he said this. He said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to give, all that she had to live on. There's this one little girl that gave 100% herself. She lived in Philadelphia. She was near a church where there was a Sunday school that was very crowded, and um, they told her one day that they would have a building big enough where everybody could come because they couldn't actually fit everybody. They had to turn people away, but that they would build a building where everyone who wanted to attend would come. Well, this little girl died as a child. Her name was Hattie Mae Wyatt. She became sick, and she died, and the pastor uh, did the funeral for her. And um, his name was Reverend Conwell. Reverend Conwell was asked to do the funeral, and the, the girl's mother told him, that Hattie Mae had been saving money to help build a bigger church and gave him the little purse in which this girl had served. This was the late 19th century, in which she had saved 57 cents. So Reverend Conwell had the 57 cents turned into pennies, and he told the congregation about this girl's gift. Now, 57 cents in the 19th century for a poor family was actually quite a, quite a bit for a little girl to have saved over these couple of years before she died. So he took these 57 cents, turned them into pennies, and he told the congregation, now, if you would like one of these pennies, um, you make a gift and take one of these pennies. And some people did that, and money started coming in, and they all gave the pennies back. He eventually, uh, 54 of those pennies came back, and he put them all up on the wall in the church. But in addition, um, as they were to return... The, the money just kind of started coming in from other people who were inspired by her and her poverty and her giving what she had and all that she had. And so eventually they got what they needed to build this Sunday school and they formed what they called the Wyatt Might Society after this girl. And it was dedicated to making kind of her gift continue to grow as much as possible to buy this property for the primary department of the, of the Sunday school for the church. So a house nearby was purchased um, with $250 that Hattie Mae's 57 cents had produced, and then the rest is history. What went from there in that Sunday school then became Temple College, which then became Temple University, which you might have heard of in Philadelphia. And so that house was sold that allowed the expansion uh, of the university and then the founding of what's called the Good Samaritan Hospital, in Philadelphia, that was also born out of all of this. But it all goes back to this story of this expansion that began, this expansion of the kingdom, this expansion of the vision that began with this girl's gifts. True story. 
This is what God can do with a few pennies, with a gift given out of faith, out of generosity, out of sacrifice. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to kind of camp in this story of the widows, anchor ourselves in that story, but we're going to look across Scripture in a number of different places and look at two questions, and we're going to go really big picture today, um, looking at why do we give and how do we give. And there's multiple things we're going to touch on about why we give, multiple things we're going to touch about how we give. Some of them we're going to linger a little bit, some of them we'll move through a little bit faster. So let's begin. Why do we give? First, giving puts God first. Giving puts God first. This is an act of discipleship. It's not just a matter of the bills need to be paid, and so I give to help pay the bills. It's actually a part of our discipleship that puts God first in our life. In this reading from Mark 12, verse 44, it says, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So to be clear, Jesus notices this woman's sacrificial generosity and comments disciples on what this says about her heart, her trust, her priorities. He's not saying that this is a command for everyone to follow, that every follower of Jesus should give every last penny that they have. But he notices her trust and how she's put God first in her life, and he uses This is an example to teach the disciples of what it looks like to put God first in our lives. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, we see that our financial giving illustrates how willing we are to give our whole lives. It's like a lead indicator of how willing we are to give our whole lives to God, to wholeheartedly trust and follow Him in every arena of life. Your money represents you. I don't mean by that that there's like a dollar sign on you and everybody's different values. I mean it represents your life. Think about this way. You exchange your time, your intelligence, your abilities, your energy, your muscle. You exchange all of these things about yourself for the money that you receive. And then how you use that money makes a statement about how important And what we believe is important in this life that we've used in exchange for this. It makes a statement about what we think is important. So why do we give? One reason is that it helps us to put God first in our lives. Another one, giving worships God. You might be familiar with Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus talks a bit about possessions and treasures and giving and all of that in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, it's a matter of discipleship. Giving worships God. The person, for instance, who maybe you've got a neighbor like this, who's constantly detailing their car, waxing it, buffing it. They probably have invested in that car financially. So where their treasure is, their heart and time and energy begins to go. That's just kind of the way we are. If you invest in a stock, you buy a stock, you're going to care about and probably follow what's going on with that company and the health of that company. And you're going to have an interest in and care for what's going on because you are invested in some way. Our hearts, our attention, our energy follow where our treasure goes, where we've invested. So when we, we invest in the kingdom of God, our hearts become more aligned with God's kingdom, with his purposes. Our attention, our devotions are more likely to be directed towards God 
when our treasure is directed towards God, our hearts are going to be more tuned to him and what he's about. So we give in order to put God first. We give in order to worship God. We also give because giving participates in God's mission. Jesus told a lot of parables about the kingdom of God. In fact, most of his parables are, are, are ways to teach about what the kingdom of God is like. And if you read through all those parables, which are all about the kingdom of God, you'll be surprised how many of them, again, have to do with money and treasure and how we handle that. In one of them, Matthew 25, there's a parable of a man who went on a journey and he entrusted his money to his workers to take care of it. And some were good stewards of it. They took care of it by investing it in some way. And when the, when the owner returned, these workers gave him back the money plus what had been earned from the money. They had been really good stewards of it. Um, one steward had buried the money and just kind of put it in the ground and then gave it back to the owner that way. And the owner was displeased because he had not been careful or a steward of the money. This is a parable, again, I say, of the kingdom, and this is what it means that we, the point being, we are stewards of the good gifts that God's given us. He's entrusted to us. And when we put our resources to work in the kingdom of God, what we want to see, what we hope to see is that there's some kind of reproduction that happens as we invest ourselves in the kingdom. There's a multiplication and a, a reproduction, a, a generativity that happens in a kingdom sense, when we give back to God through tithes, donations, to any kind of gospel work, there's this reproduction effect, an impact on people's lives. Right here, Christ Church, our collective generosity does that. As you give, that's what's happening here at Christ Church, through Christ Church, in the mission work that we support around the world. Right here in Austin, on this very block, the mission work, the ways that we're salt and light in this neighborhood and in neighborhoods around Austin, it leads to the formation of the people of God and our discipleship as you give here. In every generation, in multiple generations of discipleship, the kingdom of God is happening and flourishing here at Christ Church in every generation and all around us. It leads to worship and community it leads to care. It leads to the commissioning of each of you and your vocations. And as you give here, these are the works, the kingdom works that go out. It leads to the gospel work of justice, of healing, of the forgiveness of sins. So our giving participates in God's mission. We're not burying the treasure he's given us. We're putting it to work for his mission in the world. All right, another reason we give. Giving expresses gratitude to God. It's just a way that we say thank you. We give out of gratitude. It's a natural response out to the, to the grace of God. God shows us his grace, and we say in response, thank you, and our giving is a way to do that. Our Old Testament reading today, Deuteronomy 27 says this, when you have crossed the Jordan into the land your Lord God is giving you, cross the Jordan into the land. Now, you remember the story. They'd been delivered. They'd been in bondage in Egypt. They'd been oppressed, and they were delivered into the wilderness, and in the wilderness they were cared for and sustained. 
And then they cross into the promised land. So they have all this grace of God shown in their lives before they cross into the promised land. So at, by the grace of God, Israel once is delivered. By the grace of God, they are sustained and preserved in the wilderness. By the grace of God, they've been gifted the promised land. And so then now God says to them, now as you cross into that land, gather up some stones. This is how I want you to, to respond. And this is an act for the people to say thank you. Gather up some stones, write my laws upon them, make an altar, pile them up together, make an altar, and then on that altar, make an offering. This is the giving. There's a kind of a giving back to God. That's an offering that comes out of gratitude. Gratitude is our response. He says, these stones will remind you of my grace every time you see them. These stones will remind you of my deliverance my word, my goodness. Karl Barth, a theologian, once said, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. And then he continues, and get this, gratitude, I love this, gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. You know how you, there's a, you'll, there'll be a flash, and you wait. Is it half a second, one second? It depends on how far that way. And then the, and then the boom comes, because the speed of sound follows the speed of light. Gratitude follows grace that way. Gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. So I want you to think about this right now, and this is actually not rhetorical. Um, if you have a pen, grab it. There might be one in front of you. If you have, so you can write on your bulletin anything, and you can just make a mental note. If you have a phone, pull that out. Maybe pull it, text yourself. And I want you to write a word, maybe two. And here are some questions, and let one of these questions just generate one or two words that represent your answer to these questions. Here are the questions. Where have you experienced God's grace in your life? Where have you experienced it? Could have been just this past week. Could be something more like macro in your life, this huge story from years ago. But where, where have you experienced God's grace in your life? Where have you experienced God's deliverance? Something you needed freedom from, and he gave you freedom. He brought you out of it. How has he provided for you a bill to pay? place to live, an education, food. How has he provided for you? What comes to mind? What word or message has he spoken to you? Is there, is there something that God has spoken to you that you just carry around in your heart? You hold it close. It's just a word, a message from him that's, that's just a treasure to you that he's spoken. What good gift has he given to you? Could be actual material, something in your life, some kind of beauty, a place, a person. But what, what kind of gift? Now, I'm just going to read through those all again, and I'm only asking you to write a word or two, period, not for each, not a word or two for each question, because you're going to do something with these words. So one or two words, and it, it, it could be from any one of these questions. You don't have to come up with a word for every one. Here we go. Here are the list again. Where have you experienced God's grace in your life? 
From what has God delivered you? How has he provided for you? What word or message has he spoken to you? And what good gift has he given to you? And so here's what we're going to do with that, what you're going to do with that, if you'd like. We talk about gratitude follows grace and these stones of remembrance. Um, during communion today, after you take communion, I want to invite you to go out into the courtyard. And right around the baptismal fountain, we have stones on each end of the baptismal fountain. Pick up one of those stones, and we've got a bunch of pens out there, Sharpies, and write whatever that word is. Now, this might be a word that someone else sees. So somehow God spoke to you in a word that was maybe not appropriate for everybody to see. You might not want to keep that in mind. But it, it, write down anything that God spoke to you, and then we're going to just drop it right there. And whenever we come in and out, it'll be like we pass through the waters into worship. And here are stones of remembrance. And collectively, at this moment in time, May 14th, 2023, there's a little snapshot of this is how God has shown his grace in our community and in our life. So during communion, take the Sharpie, write that word. Please leave the Sharpies out there. Uh, that will be best for when it comes to children and uh, the clothes you might need to wash and things you might need to wash. Your kids get a hold of that Sharpie for the rest of the service. But there's a pile out there in a can. You can put the Sharpies right back there when you're done. All right. Let's go to the how. This is why we talked about why we give. Now let's go to the how. How do we give? And we have a few biblical kind of like directions on this. One, generously. We've touched upon that in a number of ways already. Our gospel story makes that one pretty uh, obvious. We also have Paul writing the church in Corinth, and he says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. At all times, in all things, having everything that you need, you will abound. One of our core values at Christ Church, you can go on our website, you can see the, kind of these core values that have guided us for over a decade. That we've, These have been touchstones for us. One of them is generosity. And if you go there and you read it, here's what it says. Jesus gave everything for us, demonstrating God's extravagant grace. We respond with sacrificial generosity by giving of our gifts and abilities, our time and our money to God, to his people, and to his work. We open our arms and hearts and our homes in generous hospitality. That's what it means to be a generous people. How do we give generously? Next one, sacrificially. Again, our gospel story today from Mark, the widow gave not out of her abundance. She didn't give off the top of what she had. She dug down to the bottom of her pocket and gave deeply in a way that was sacrificial. We also see this principle of giving in the Old Testament offerings and sacrifices that Israel was to bring. And this pattern is there from the very beginning with God's people where he said to them, uh, don't, bring the un don't bring the blemished animals, the ones that with broken legs and disease and the ones that are blemished. Don't cull the worst of your flock to come make 
your offerings, but bring the, bring, the, bring the best, bring the unblemished. Or if it's a crop, bring the first fruits. And part of the significance of the first fruits is that first, that first crop, that first harvest, you have to trust that there's going to be more that comes. And so giving the first fruits is an, it's like an extravagant act of trust that if God's getting the first, we know he's going to provide still and provide more. We give sacrificially. We might need, in order to do this, to do without something in our lives. And, and some of you, I, I know stories, and some of you do, ways that you live simply so that you can give generously or sacrificially. Philip Yancey, uh, many of you know him, is a wonderful author um, for the past 40 years, who's been writing great works uh, about the Christian faith. And he writes about going to stay at a monastery where the monks were pursuing this simple kind of life. And when he arrived, the monks showed him to his really spartan and simple room and said, if there's anything at all that you need, just tell us and we'll show you how to get along without it. <laughs> we don't have many people that teach us that today. I know, you know, advertising doesn't teach us that today. Jesus comes to us and says, I'll help you with that. <laughs> I'll provide what you need. I'll show you how to give. I'll show you how to get free from the treadmill of unsatisfied desire. I'll, I'll help you be free of that. How do we give? Generously, sacrificially. Next one, proportionately. Paul again, writing the church in Corinth, he said this, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Isn't this beautiful? The goal is equality, Paul writes, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. It's the principle of proportionality. Those who have more, give more in absolute dollars. Those who have less, give less in absolute dollars. But percentage-wise, every, everybody is, is sacrificing. Everybody's giving. And it might be that the amount of those who give more subsidize in some ways in the work of the kingdom, those who give less, and, vice versa, and, and, and the gifts of all are exchanged, monetary and otherwise. I was uh, looking at the page for our men's retreat, and I thought of this principle, in fact. I love how it was designed. I didn't do this. It was uh, Matt and some of the others who put together the page for the registration, and I love it. There's three price points for the men's retreat. One is, uh, they call it skin in the game. Just what give something, and it's a, it's a less than cost, the actual true cost of the retreat amount. And then there's the true cost of the retreat amount. And then there's more than the true cost of the retreat amount so that you can help others who might not be able to pay the true cost go. And it's basically 2 Corinthians 9 embodied in the men's retreat. I love that. But that's the idea, and that's how the kingdom works. We give proportionately. We give regularly. This is the next one. There was a patterned rhythm from the beginning of Israel's life and worship. There's a, there was a pattern to this where they would keep the Sabbath weekly, 
Sabbath worship. Wow. That is literally a dove, isn't it? Oh, no. All right, let's, let's see if we can wave it. Wave it towards the door. Oh, yeah! Wow! Did anybody video that? <laughs> okay. He just caught the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was incredible. Where do we go from there? <laughs> the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Whew. All right. So... <laughs> this Sabbath I was talking about, the, the pattern, the regular giving. We get there's a pattern of weekly worship in the Sabbath, which included a making of offerings. There's the pattern of the festivals that Israel would have throughout the year. And at every at each of these festivals, there would be a kind of gift that would be an offering that would be made, saving up something to be offered. Each, at each of these festivals. So there's this like patterned, rhythmed regularity to give in. It's not, in other words, the point here, there's no rule to follow. It's not like you have to give or we have to give weekly, monthly, but that there's a rhythm. Maybe the best pattern for us, according to how our earning it goes, is to give quarterly. Or uh, if you're in sales and commissions, it's hard to know every month and you just wait until some time passes and, and there's a periodic, but it's regular, it's planned, it's rhythmed. Next one, how do we give joyfully? This was in, our gospel, in our, uh, one of our scripture readings today, 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How would it feel to be given a gift from someone who is giving it to you? It's your your birthday or Christmas or something, but it's begrudging. You know, like, it, it just, it, you, you wouldn't really want the gift, would you? It'd be kind of like, you know, it's okay. There's something that when someone delights in their gift giving, it makes our delight even greater because it's, it's ultimately not just about the thing or the money. Or it, there's, a, there's a joy in the giving and the receiving, and the more joy in the giving, the more joy in the receiving. They feed each other. Last one. How do we give? We give intentionally. And, um, and this kind of connects with the regularly. Um, like I mentioned in Deuteronomy 16, they were talking about three times a year. Here's what it says, verse 16. All your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place you will choose at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. And so there's this um, intentionality. Everybody knows that this feast is coming three times a year. They plan for it. They go to the feast, and they don't come empty-handed. They come with intention, proportionality, regularity in their giving. 
This is what we do once a year ourselves, and um, where we gather up our pledge cards, and this is what's going to happen. I was saying at the beginning of the sermon, next week, uh, we're going to bring our pledges forward. You will get a pledge card in the mail if you're on our regular mailing list, um, but we'll also have a, a digital pledge card. You can go online and, um, and fill that out, and then next week, you'll either bring the physical card or we have those wood tokens in the back of the church wood coins that are a physical sacramental way, which is all that money is anyway. It's wood pulp. It's paper. And then these are little chips of wood that represent value. And you you can grab one of those chips or you can bring your pledge card forward and we're going to come up and lay it on the altar before the Lord next week. So we want to invite you this week, kind of like these three festivals of the year, some of these patterns of giving, to Approach it with some intentionality, some forethought, some prayer, some discernment. Maybe that means you have a conversation with whoever you live with, with family, with friends. It's a great conversation to bring kids into, even if you don't want to get into actual dollar amounts, but the principle of what's happening. Um, but to bring the family or, or your friends, your household into the conversation with you to help you discern how you go about this. And then it's a beautiful thing when we do this to see just the people of God streaming forward. Uh, in this act of discipleship, in this act of worship. All right, I said I would come back to the number one reason we give, back to the why. Why do we give? We give for the same reason we love. We love because he first loved us. We give because he gave. Our biggest why is rooted in actually one of the simplest and probably most well-known verses in the whole Bible. Most recognizable. For God so loved, loved, this is the relentless love of God, the tenacious love of God, the merciful pursuit by God of His people, His pursuit of you and all creation. This love, he so loved. And who did he love? The world. He so loved the world. And that word world, cosmos, is just a, it normally does not mean when it's used in scripture, world like plants and creation, the physical earth, but refers the world often to the people. And particularly in this verse, he so loved all the people of the world, even in their sin or hostility their brokenness, their opposition to God. He so loved this world that what? He gave. This is absolutely central to the character of God. This is what love looks like. He so loved us in whatever state we're in that he did what? He loved us so much he gave. And he gave his only son. Jesus sacrificed everything. He suffered beyond anything we can imagine. And so this gift goes way beyond money, way beyond material blessing, the gift of God to us, but that he laid down his life for us, his friends, and calls us his friends. That is why we give. We give in response. We give, again, this grateful response, like thunder in response to lightning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the ways that you have given, which you have loved us. 
and that you have allowed us to join you in what it means to be divine and exercise divine love means to be a giver like you in your image, to love like you love and give like you give. So Lord, we ask that that would be the spirit of what you do in every one of our hearts and in our parish over the next couple weeks. In your name we pray. Amen.